0: Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We
1: behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ,
0: it shows us who. There is a danger of becoming complacent when it comes to the promises of God. It is so important to keep our hearts pure and deal with sin as it comes up. If we don't, we'll allow compromise and concession to creep in, and this will stop us from coming into God's promises. We will- of Cheryl's message titled Pursuing the Promises. We
1: read this in Joshua 17, verse 12 through 18. And the tribes of Joseph, which include both Manasseh and Ephraim, allowed the Canaanites to stay. They do not put in the extra effort to drive out the Canaanites. Instead, they put them to tribute, or in other words, they charge them taxes. In fact, they feel that leaving a little bit of this, the Canaanites, just a little bit, will enhance their lives. They can use them for services and get money from them. And the Canaanites have a determination to stay. It's a lot like sin in our lives. There are those that think a little bit of sin, a little bit of compromise. Actually, they eat know, just a little tiny bit. And they can use it for their self-enhancement if they just keep this little bit, this provision. And sin, as we know, is determined to stay. Sin is like those extra pounds, you know what I mean? That extra five pounds. I mean, if I, if I said, who wants to lose at least five pounds? I bet every hand would go up, right? See, I already see hands. It's not an altar call. <laughs> but, you know, everybody has that. But Don't you ever feel like they're determined to stay? They're like, no, we like where we've settled in. We're even adding little dimples to your life. You're like, get thee behind me, which it has for me. (laughs) But you know, those extra, those extra five pounds. And you know, the only way to get rid of those is by driving it out. And I mean, it's by effort, right? I mean, it's by starvation and running and exercise and doing just terrible things to your body. That's, that's the only way because it's it's so determined. But it says that when Ma- Nassau was strong, when they had the ability, when they could have and should have, when they had multiplied, they still did not drive out the Canaanites. In fact, they intermarried with them. They served the Canaanite gods. And later, these, these Canaanites that they put to tribute, would put the Israelites to tribute. They would become their oppressors. As Paul said, a little leaven, speaking of sin, leavens the whole bunch. You're never safe with sin. So Ephraim and Manasseh come to Joshua. They complain about their territory being too small. They want more land to accommodate their tribes. Chapter 17, verse 14, Why have you given us but one lot and one portion to inherit, since we are a great people, inasmuch as the Lord has blessed us until now? I love Joshua's answer. Joshua answers them and says that if they want to increase their portion, they will need to go up to the forest country, clear a place for yourself. They're in the land of the parasites and the giants, since the mountains of Ephraim are too confined for you. In other words, you're going to have to put in effort. You're going to have to go up. You're going to have to clear a place. You're going to have to fight, again, the parasites and the giants. The children of Joseph make excuses. The mountain area is too small. All the Canaanites in the valley have chariots of iron. But Joshua calls them out because they said, we're a great people. Joshua said, if you're a great people, and if you have that great power because you're blessed by God, then you can Go up to the mountains. You can cut down. You can take care of those chariots. You can drive out the enemy, although they have chariots and are strong. You see, Ephraim and Manasseh have become complacent. They want the land and the territory without any effort. They have allowed the enemy to settle in among them, and they don't want to exert the energy. There are those who want to increase spiritually without effort. They don't want any spiritual warfare, so they don't want to upset the enemy by praying that strongholds be taken down. They don't want to exert the effort to pray, oh, it takes so long, it's like, oh, you know, I forgot. They want the promises of God simply handed to them. They want them just to happen without seeking God's directives, his instructions, or obedience to God's will. It's called entitlement. They want the trophy without playing the game. And that's not how God works. Now, that might be how t-ball works in these times that we live. Like, well, at least you joined. I remember I was a brownie. I had a brownie troop. My brownie troop was all Jewish, except for Lisa Martinez and me. We were all the only non-Jews. That's why we couldn't do anything on Saturdays. I only realized that in retrospect, you know. I had people with the last name of Jacobs and Jacoby and all these, now I remember, and now I know. But I remember we were always in trouble. I was a little scared of my Girl Scout troop. So I would just bring the dues to school and have them take it to the Brownie meeting for me and never make any of the meetings. And so they flew me up anyway, you know. I advanced... And the Girl Scouts, because I was the only one who was faithful with their dues. <laughs> but I'm telling you, it was extortion. I was so scared of those girls. I just paid whatever they wanted and just didn't show up for the meetings. But I still, I, you know, they, I I was, I got badges and they never showed up. You know, it's like the entitlement. But sometimes we want to do that with the promises of God. You know, but we don't even want to pay our dues. We just want the badges, And God says, no, there's directives, there's meetings, there's dues, there's a specific way into the promises of God, and it is going to take effort. The promises are given us, but they must be claimed, one, by knowing the promises, by asking for the promises, by taking possession or moving into, cutting down, clearing, settling in. Driving out the enemy. And when I talk about driving out the enemy, I'm talking about in our own hearts. Driving out all the impediments, the doubt. You know, drive the doubt of, of dark away. So contrast these men of Manasseh and Ephraim now with the daughters of Zavot, that guy. You know, I practiced this, so I wouldn't do this. Zalafidad. <laughs> Joshua 17, verses 3 through 6. Zelophehad. These women, these daughters of Zelophehad, they wanted a family inheritance. They didn't want their portion simply through marriage. They wanted their own. They wanted their own. Something that could belong to them. Something that they could pass down to their sons and daughters. Their father... Zalephahad had died in the wilderness. He was not among those who rebelled against the Lord. He died because he was part of the unbelieving generation. But his daughters, by contrast, believed the promises of God. They came to Moses, which must have been so intimidating to come to Moses, the lawgiver, the one who had to put a veil over his face because it was so radiant. They went to Moses And they asked for a portion of the promised land because they believed the time would come when they would be in the promised land. And they wanted part and parcel because they believed it. So in Numbers 27, one through eight, we are told of the bold thing that they did when they went before Moses. It was bold, especially for women. It was bold because they requested an inheritance in the land of promise. It was bold because Moses would then inquire of God. And when Moses went to God, God said, these girls are right in what they ask. Allocate them a possession among their brethren. Now, these women, like Caleb, they now go to Joshua and Eliezer, and they remind Joshua and Eliezer, the command that God gave through Moses concerning them and their inheritance. Joshua 17, verse 4, the Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our brothers. They had not forgotten the promises of God. Therefore, I love this, therefore, because of God's command to Moses, Joshua gave them a portion. Oh, do you realize we have a therefore? We have a Therefore. Therefore, because of the command of Moses. But we have a therefore, because of the work of Christ. Therefore, because of what Jesus has done. Therefore, because Jesus has opened the door to all the promises of God. Therefore, because Jesus lived a righteous life. Therefore, because Jesus died for my sins. Therefore, because Jesus wills that all the promises of God be mine. God gives them to me. These women, because they wanted a portion, because they boldly asked, like Oxa, bold, their names are mentioned twice in the Bible. Isn't that exciting? I mean, to think, I mean, some of you were given Bible names, but for some reason, Chuck and Kay Smith didn't give any of their children Bible names. Don't you think that's a little strange? I mean, you would think that, I don't know, I'd be named Tirza or Hagla or something. Beautiful. Hepzibah. Elizabeth. And there are other ones like Mary. But no, I get Cheryl. Cheryl Lynn. It's like, I can't find that in the Bible. But they could have named me Malah, Noah, Hagla, Milka, Tirzah. Look at these choices. Yeah, but when you see your name, I get excited when it says whosoever. I'm like, that's my name right there, whosoever. i claim that one. But you know, to see your name in the Bible, you know, my, my grandson Judah, you say something, Judah, he goes, Judah? That's my name. Where is it in the Bible? Okay, I just have to say this really quick. My grandson Judah is a genius. Seriously. Like all of us are intimidated by him. I mean, his poor little brother, because he's just above average. But Judah is like genius. He's reading at high school level. He's eight years old. And he comes to Brian, he goes, Grandpa B, I just read the book of Revelation yesterday. Will you explain it to me? (laughs) He read Pilgrim's Progress. He liked it so much, he made a game out of it. You know, like the slough of despondency. He made a game out of it. He wanted to play it with me. I was like, "Ah, wow. This is a little intimidating. He's so brilliant. And I'm saying that for a reason. Um, Oh, yeah, because he sees his name in the Bible. So Brian's explaining the whole scenario of of Revelation. He's, like, glued to it. Like, yes. And every time, you know, in the tribe of Judah, he's like, Judah, that's me. And Hudson's like, my name's not in the Bible, I said, but you're like named after this really great missionary to China. I am? What's his story? And and his mom's like, Hudson, you know that story. I know, but I forgot because I'm not Judah. And I forget. You know, it's like, I know. I just spent three days with him. Can you tell? I'm like, I'm in love. I'm in love. And then, of course, (laughs) he... Evelyn who's 3 she's the one with the heart surgery she's like our miracle and our only granddaughter and she loves crayons she's like got I think 10 crayons and she was putting one on the other day and I said is that your crayon too and she's like no I took this from my girlfriend uh, she's got a little bit of this kleptomaniac problem but you know if you had heart surgery maybe you would too but Think about these women. Their names are actually recorded in God's word because they wanted a portion. Look at how God goes beyond. They said, we want a portion in the land of promise. And what does God do? He writes their name twice in the word of God. Isn't that incredible? I mean, if you had a name like Hagla, I don't know. I mean, it's like, but it's there. Because they made claim to the promised land and they received an inheritance among the tribes. And they honored their father, and they had a land to pass down to their children. Unlike the other tribes of Joseph that were unwilling to go up to the forest, a clear place, to go down to the valleys, to drive out the Canaanites and the chariots, these women asked for, received an inheritance, sought it out, laid claim. There is this danger of becoming complacent when it comes to the promises. And this happens when we allow the enemy to remain in our hearts, When we stop dealing with sin or even recognizing the signs of sin in our heart or life, when we start letting in little white lies or little tiny compromises, when we stop fighting for the land of promises, and what happens? We begin to complain like the tribes of Joseph. Because they weren't fighting for the land, they begin to complain. It's too small. The enemies have chariots. They're too strong for us. You know what? When you start complaining, it's because you've stopped fighting the enemy. Just think about that. Next time you want to complain, complainers are people that rather put down rather put down their brothers and sisters in Christ than fight against the true enemies. They'd rather complain against the work of God in their life and compare it to what other people have than fighting the enemy. We need to keep fighting the enemy. In fact, it tells us in Philippians chapter two that we are to do all things without murmuring and grumbling that we may become the children of God, lights in a dark generation, holding fast to the word of God. But Ephraim would rather complain about the territory being too small, forest, too hard, not as good as what Judah got, than simply fighting the enemy. What is the remedy to complacency? It's to again seek the promises of God, to know the word and promises that are there, to not rest until God's word has been fulfilled to us and in us, and we have it in our possession so we can pass it on to the next generation. Now, Joshua 18, 1 through 10, we read that the tabernacle is set up at Shiloh. It's a national event. They all come together to set it up. It's put in the territory allotted to Ephraim, It will become the spiritual headquarters of Israel for a time. All the men of Israel are to go there three times a year, Passover, Pentecost, and at Sukkoth, or the Feast of Shelters. And the whole congregation is involved in this endeavor. Moving the tabernacle was another way to get those seven tribes that haven't claimed their land to leave Gilgal, because they're still in this holy huddle, where they don't want to leave. They just want to, you know, all settle in this tiny territory of Gilgal. But the rest of the land is already subdued. Judah has taken a huge portion. Reuben Gad and half Manasseh have their portion settled in on the eastern plain of the Jordan. Ephraim and the other half of Manasseh have settled the northern part of the Land. What remains is the territory above the tribes of Joseph and between the allotments of Joseph and Judah. The tribes that remain are Dan, Simeon, Benjamin, and four others, Asher, Nephtali, Zebulon, and Issachar. The land has already been conquered. Their greatest enemies are gone. And Joshua rebukes these seven remaining tribes. How long will you neglect? to go and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you. Here was the land just waiting to be apportioned, waiting to be claimed, waiting to be taken. It was already given to them. Joshua instructs them, choose three men from each tribe. Go survey the remaining territory, come back with the location you want. Then here in Shiloh, not in Gilgal, but here in Shiloh, we'll cast lots to see what territory you will receive. The text again makes it clear that the reason that the Levites do not have a tribal allotment, verse seven, is the priesthood of the Lord is their inheritance. Their reward possession is the service of the Lord. They are not to be in a holy huddle, but to spread throughout all of Israel to ensure the spiritual cooperation, condition and concern of the people. But why did these tribes hesitate to take their possession? Perhaps it was they were comfortable where they were. Maybe they were afraid to settle in. Two, they didn't want to choose a territory because maybe they would like another territory better later. But they quite literally had to be pushed out of Gilgal by Joshua in order to take possession of the beauty and wealth that God had given them. Jasmine and I, again, we were talking about quotes by Hudson Taylor, who... My grandson was named after, who was a missionary to China. And God did a tremendous work through Hudson Taylor, um, which is still continuing. He was a missionary there at the turn of the century. And yet his work, there are still people who are being saved in China. And it can be directly correlated to the work of Hudson Taylor. But he said this, faith always involves a risk. Without a risk, a move, new territory, new territory. Moving into the unknown, there is no need for faith. Sometimes what we're trying to do is create a faith-free relationship with God. We want something that's so safe that never involves a risk, never involves the unknown, never involves us having to absolutely trust God and have a wholehearted dependency on God. We want circumstances to come through. We want the savings account. We want all these props that we can depend on. We want the Gilgal. We want the holy huddle where we're totally safe. But God wants us to move out by faith into the new territory, to clear the forests away, to deal with the chariots, and to settle in. Why do we stop short of all God has for us? I was reading in the Open Bible the introduction to Ephesians, and I love this from the Open Bible It says that Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, the epistle of Paul, is addressed to a group of believers who are rich beyond measure in Jesus Christ, yet living as beggars, and only because they are ignorant of the wealth. Since they have yet to accept their wealth, they relegate themselves to living as spiritual paupers. That's how the seven remaining tribes were. Think of it. Seven out of 12 tribes, more than half, were living in the promised land, but not in the promises of God. They were in the right place, but they weren't claiming territory. They weren't living by. They were surrounded by God's promises, but not laying claim and settling into them. In other words, they were going to, you know, it's like going to church And elbowing your neighbor, everything that the pastor says, that one's for you. That one's for you. That one's for you. When God's like, you know, that one's for you. This is for you. You Because sometimes we sit through a sermon and we think it's for everybody. Isn't it nice of the pastor to talk to the rest of the congregation? I've been thinking they needed that too. Instead of it to realize the word of God is first and foremost for us. Until we lay claim to it, we cannot give it away to anybody else. Until we live the promises, until we receive the promises and we see them lived out, until we experience them, we cannot give them to others. We have to receive, settle in, live by them, and then we can give them to others. It is so possible to be like the Ephesians, to live in the wealth of Christ Jesus, all these promises, all that is ours through Christ Jesus, and not lay claim to it. And we can live like spiritual paupers rather than possessors of all that Christ has fought for. One intends and desires for us. Lay claim to it. Lay claim to the promises of God like Caleb and Aksa and the daughters of Zelophehad. Desire it. Know the promises of God. And the gifts that God is offering through his word. Ask for them. Treasure them as the daughters of Zelophehad did. Move into them. Settle in them. Get rid of anything that would keep you from the promises of God. God wants you in his promises. He has conquered the land. And yes, it's going to take dependency on God. It's going to take prayer. It's going to take effort. It's going to take driving out the enemy. Yes, yes, but the promises of God are so worth it. It's your heritage. It's what you can pass down. It's what you can pass out. It's your wealth. It's your richness. It's your treasure. It's your glory. It's your distinction from the rest of the world. It's the promises of God. And you lay hold of them by faith and patience. You need to believe them and believe that they're yours, that you
0: might receive them. God wants you in his promises. He's made it possible because he has already conquered the land. He has done his part. Now we just have to follow his directives. It will take prayer, effort, and dependency on God. As we make these things central to our lives, we'll walk in tune with God and watch him drive the enemy out of the land and bring us into the promises. It may seem like a great sacrifice, but the promises of God are so worth it. It's our heritage and what we can pass down to our children. It's what makes us distinct from the world and ultimately glorifies God. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll look at God's faithfulness to Israel as we continue our Possessing the Promises series in the book of Joshua with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com.